0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I have a fantastic episode for you this week with Lee Strobel. Lee likely needs little introduction. He's the best-selling author of more than 20 books, including his classic, The Case for Christ. Lee has spent the past 25 years sharing the evidence to support Christianity and encouraging and equipping people to share their faith. Most recently, Lee has founded the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University, which seeks to fuel spiritual renewal in America by equipping churches, ministries, and individual Christ followers to naturally share and defend their faith. In this episode, Lee and I discuss being prepared to share Jesus during a crisis, whether it's during this current pandemic or another crisis to come. Lee also speaks of the important role doubt and uncertainty play in spiritual growth and why we should not be afraid of it. We also discuss how and why to develop a point leader for evangelism in your local church. I encourage you to invite your key leaders to listen to this episode and then make some time to discuss it. Now please join me in my conversation with Lee Strobel. Lee, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. It is always a pleasure to have you with us.
1: Well, thanks, Jason. Always great chatting with you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, brother. Now, I know last time that we chatted, you were sharing a lot of the things of how apologetics has kind of changed um, you know, over the last couple of decades, because right. culture has changed, right? The world has changed. How people, you know, people's receptivity and and even thought processes, because we think of all all the things that have impacted our lives. You know, the digital world, all of these things, and um, and and such helpful helpful insights. And now we find ourselves um, at a, a time in history that. Was kind of a big unexpected change, you know, for the world. This whole uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, and and that has made everyone kind of look at life differently. And specifically in the church, you know, what I mean, you know, that that life yeah. looks differently for us. So, I'd I'd love it if you could just kind of share with us a little bit um, about. What um, what are you seeing? How has apologetics changed? How has those changes in apologetics, um, you know, how do, how do we use those changes and those shifts in a time such as this pandemic to continue to share the good news of Jesus?
1: Yeah, I, I really do think that the pandemic has um, emphasized the need for churches to be up to date and to be um, active in uh, the area of apologetics, because what are people asking? Why does God allow this? If there's a loving God, why does he allow a pandemic to take place? Um, you know, I mean, that's a, a question that's reverberated all around our country and around the world as a result of the pandemic. So it's just heightened, I think, the um, um, understanding among a lot of pastors that we need to step up our church uh, in terms of its, uh, teaching on apologetics, uh, evidence for the faith, because apologetics really has two functions. One is to deepen the faith of believers so that they'll be more and more interested in sharing their faith with others They'll be less hesitant because they'll feel more prepared. And then secondly, there's a lot of folks out there who have spiritual sticking points, these questions or objections between them and God that are holding them up in their journey. And uh, apologetics uh, is designed to help get them past those sticking points so that they can make progress toward the cross. But we see this especially with young people. Um, uh, You know, I came across a quote recently from uh, Nancy Piercy, who's a professor at Houston Baptist University. Of course, she used to write with Chuck Colson, great, insightful uh, uh, commentator on the church scene. And she said, in studies asking why young people left their family religion, their most frequent response was unanswered doubts and questions. The researchers were surprised. They expected to hear stories of broken relationships and wounded feelings. But the top reason given by young adults was that they did not get answers to their questions.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: and Dave Kinneman, who, of course, um, has done a lot of empirical research on why young people are leaving the church, said one of the top reasons that uh, young people 18 through 29 are leaving the church is because they feel like churches are not friendly toward those who doubt. Mm. So I think we, we have to create safe places in our churches and let people know it's okay to have questions. It's even okay to have some doubts as long as you pursue answers, because guess what? We do have good reasons for believing what we believe. So I really do believe that churches should take a look at their their teaching menu. Are we teaching on this kind of stuff? Should we do a series on tough questions about God? Why does a loving God allow pain and suffering? How can Jesus be the only way to God? Doesn't science disprove uh, Christianity? Um, th- those kind, you know, why would a loving God send people to hell? I mean, right. these are relevant questions that people are asking. Are we preaching on it? But also, are we through our small group curricula and other means? Are we equipping our people to feel confident uh, in sharing their faith uh, with people in their lives who are far from God?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think. It's in good fact, <laughs> I read something.
1: I, I read something very interesting recently uh, from Natasha Crane. Natasha is a. Uh, very bright uh, woman who uh, specializes in apologetics for young people. And she said something really convicting. She said, a lot of our churches unintentionally, through their Sunday school programs with children, are teaching our children how to be secular humanists. And, mm. and I said, what? What do you mean? And she said, well, what I mean is this. What a lot of Sunday school curricula for children does is they it'll take stories from the Bible uh, and teach values from it. So in other words, we look at the story of David, and um, um, we talk about um, um, courage with David and Goliath, and, and courage, and, and we look at the story of Moses, and we talk about leadership. Well, guess what? Secular humanists believe in courage. Secular humanists believe in leadership. Um what we need to do is help our young people not hear some stories from the bible but also to understand why they can trust the bible why it makes sense to to um um, to believe what we're told in scripture and to base our lives on the bible we need to help bring apologetics into our sunday school curriculum for kids Um, and then as they get a little older into junior high and into high school ministries as well i saw a very interesting study recently um, it's interesting that uh, uh, among the top reasons that young people are leaving the church, according to Dave Kinnaman, one of them is they believe that science conflicts with Christianity. And another one is they can't believe that Jesus is the only way to God.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, a, a study showed that a third of, of youth leaders do not feel equipped to talk about the reliability of the Bible. And a majority of youth leaders don't feel equipped to talk about issues of science and faith, even though those are... Uh, among the top topics that are driving people from the church. Wow. So, yeah, so it really is, I think, an emerging challenge for pastors to sit down and say, um, you know, do we have a point person, whether a volunteer, part-time, who's not only in charge of evangelism, but also uh, is going to head up the apologetics ministry? I remember years ago, Mark Middleberg and I, uh, when we were pastors in Chicago, Uh, we had a young seminary student come up to us and and say that he was interested in apologetics. And so we helped equip him, and uh, he became head as a volunteer of our apologetics ministry at our church. Every Wednesday night before our Wednesday service, we would do a tough questions session that uh, maybe a couple hundred people would come to to get answers to their questions, things like that. Well, he went on to get his PhD in philosophy at uh, Marquette University. He is today professor, he's actually chairman of the philosophy and theology department at Bethel University in Indiana. Uh, He's written and edited well over 20 books. I mean, he's a prominent uh, leader in the area of philosophy and theology. And it all started because he volunteered at a church. Um, There may be people in, um, you know, every church who had that potential to lead as a volunteer a ministry like this, um, but who can also then uh, go on and and become national figures in that way.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Lee, I think it was interesting. One of the things you said early on there was that with this pandemic, um, one of the things that that we think you know, we've seen some pastors and churches realize is that they weren't really prepared for their people to be sharing their faith and having these conversations um, in light of you know it's almost like the people were always leaning on the church, like leaning on the the clergy yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of lead the charge. And and this is kind of an eye opener, I think, for the church um, around the country, around the world. Is is really you know are our people equipped and prepared to answer some of these tough questions? So what what do you see as um, you know some beneficial things that Uh, pastors can begin doing now because there may not be another, you know, pandemic, but there's going to be another crisis. We know that, you know, whether it's a localized crisis or national crisis or global crisis, um, we as pastors, we experience crises, you know, within our churches. And so there are going to be people asking questions. What are some practical things that pastors can can start doing right now so that they're better prepared in, in these types of situations?
1: Yeah. First of all, I want to affirm what you just said and, and say that apologetics have been pushed down uh, into the pews. In other words, apologetics these days is taking place across backyard fences with neighbors. Right. Uh, so uh, so we got we got to make sure our folks are ready. And, and, and frankly, people will shrink back from sharing their faith if they're afraid they're going to get asked a question they don't know the answer to. So um, there, there's several things we could do. I think, one, do a preaching series on these tough questions, maybe tie it to the pandemic uh, and, and do some of these tough questions, address them uh, that are um, especially relevant uh, during this pandemic days. Maybe bring in a, an apologist who you can, a senior pastor, interview uh, on the platform. That way you've got... The, um, uh, you know, you're know you in the fray yourself. It's not just a guest speaker coming in and giving a talk, which is great to do. I do that a lot. Other people do that a lot. But um, to interview someone, that way you're kind of modeling, asking questions and, and getting answers from people and so forth. Um, I would think small group curricula, if you have a small group ministry in your church, can you recommend curricula for your small groups to go through that will equip them? Um, and I I'm not here to push this, but uh, Mark Middleberg and I did um, a six week curriculum called um, Making Your Cake Christ, which is a training curriculum that covers both evangelism and apologetics. Uh, but there's other stuff out there as well. Jay Warner Wallace uh, has materials, and um, Sean McDowell has materials. Um, so there's some wonderful things out there uh, that can be implemented as, as far as small group curricula. I would also suggest. In order to emphasize that your church is a safe place to ask questions, think of things you can do to facilitate that. One example is to create a ministry of small group experiences for nonbelievers. These are gangbusters. Uh, We did these when I was in Chicago. We still had 1,100 nonbelievers in these little small groups. And we tracked them over a period of years and found that if a nonbeliever joins one of these groups and uh, stays with it, 80% 80% come to faith in Christ. Wow. So any church can have these groups because you're trained not to lead this group to be the Bible answer man and just sit there and take tough questions. That's not how it works. You're there to facilitate a discussion and a conversation. And anybody can be trained how to do that. Um, and, and I'll recommend a book. Um, uh, Gary Poole uh, wrote a book called Seeker Small Groups, which is kind of a blueprint print for how to do these kind of groups. Um, and he does consulting on these sorts of things as well. But I think every church should have these, because what is it? what signal does that send to the community? It says, hey, we're not afraid of questions. It's okay mm-hmm. to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. Come on in. We have a place for you. Um, or you can do a little um, periodic. You know, one thing we do at our church uh, here in Houston, at Woodlands Church, is um, about every quarter, um, instead of having a sermon on the weekend. I get up there with Mark Middleberg, and we just take questions for uh, 45 minutes, and we have people send in a video from their cell phone of them asking the question. That way, we have some kind of a live, you know, uh, kind of a feel—a question. You can see the person's face, and and they'll ask a question. But then we take questions from the congregation, put our microphones in the congregation, and just take them live. And that does a couple of things. One. It models how to answer common questions because the same questions basically come up all the time. Um, And number two, it gives people confidence. Oh, you know what? It's okay uh, for people ask questions and it's okay if I don't have an answer. I can always say, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. Let's find one together. And there's so many great resources out there today to help do that, that it's not really a problem. It also gives you another excuse to have a follow-up conversation with your friend. So those are a few things you can do. As I say, at our church in Chicago, what we used to do before our services, we would do a little session on um, anybody that has questions. And we just, we have a few people, a few hundred people show up and, and um, just do Q&A to, um, and it's often good to do uh, after a service uh, to respond to uh, the sermon. Um, I remember uh, there was a guy up in a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who, when he would give a sermon, they would do the offering after the sermon, and they would ask people to, if they have a question, to write it down and put it in the offering plate. And then at, at the end of every sermon, at the end of every service, rather, he would say, okay, we got uh, three or four questions that came in today. Let's uh, let's take them. And he wow. would answer those questions right there. And that, that's a great that's idea. Very,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Isn't it? Kind of, it's immediate. And um, and it says to people that, um, you know, this is a safe place. Uh, and I think that's very important value to communicate.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. I love that, ideally. One, one, one question that um, a lot of pastors have been asking in, in kind of the immediate sense is, um, in the midst of, you know, what we're facing right now, um, you know the as you said, the conversations are not happening. You know, over over the uh, backyard fence, and yeah. so our people are finding their friends, um, their neighbors are having questions, but they may they, they they're kind of pulling back, like you said. If you're not confident in answering questions, then you're not really engaging those conversations. So, what is something kind of immediate that if pastors right now they're let's say they're in a, a, a you know place in the country where they can't physically gather. Or maybe they can, but let's let's say let's give them options. Either way, either virtually yeah. or physically, what yeah. is something a pastor could do, you know, over this next week or the next few weeks that could really kind of um, address this and help their people?
1: Well, one thing you could do is um, uh, if you're in a series, a preaching series, right now, take a one week break. And and say to your people, you know, we've had a lot of questions come up. People are going through a lot of difficult times, uh, a lot of tragedy taking place, a lot of displacement, a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation. Um, So this weekend for our service, I'm just going to respond to your questions. So Mm. if you have a question, if you have a doctor, email it to me right now. Um, And, um, you know, if you want to send a little video of you asking, that's fine. And and, uh, I'm just going to, whether we do it through the web or we do it live in the auditorium, doesn't matter. Um, let's just talk. Let's have a conversation. Let me um, see if I can help you uh, get past some of these questions that may be stunting you in your spiritual growth or keeping you even from a full commitment to Christ. That'd be something we could all do um, mm-hmm. very easily. That's good. In fact, I just got invited to speak at a church um, uh, down south uh, coming up in July, assuming we'll be meeting in person again, who knows? Uh, to talk about the topic of doubt, mm. that's another one you can preach on. The topic of doubt uh, that the doubt is not the opposite of faith; that it's okay to have questions. Uh, look at John the Baptist when he was imprisoned; he started to have questions, but what did he do? He pursued answers. He sent his friends to ask Jesus. Are you the one we've been waiting for? We'd wait for somebody else. And Jesus didn't get angry. Jesus said, Go back to John and tell him about what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, go back to him and tell him about the evidence you've seen that convinces you that I am the one I claim to be. Um, it's okay to ask questions. Jesus didn't get mad. In fact, it's after this incident that he said, There's no one uh, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Um, so it's okay for us as Christians to have questions and it's okay, especially for spiritual seekers and and, and skeptics to have questions as well. Um, and I think one of the key things we can teach our people is don't feel like you're a failure if you can't rattle off a theologically profound response to any given question at any given moment. (laughs) Uh, You know, nobody expects you to, um... Uh, you know, it, the, it's okay to say, wow, that's a great question. I have no idea how to answer it, yeah. but let's look for an answer together. And that gives you another uh, reason to get together to right. explore, explore things. It's so, even
0: almost better when you don't have an answer for everything, honestly, right?
1: Well, that's true because yeah, it, you don't want to come off as a canned, you know. Exactly. Uh, you're, you're, here's Along those lines, Jason, here's what I've learned. To get into spiritual conversations, I used to ask people, Um, and I still do, I'll ask them, um, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And 80% of the time, you're going to get some permutation of the, why does God allow pain and suffering? Mm -hmm. And so I used to respond, "But oh, that's a great question. Let me give you five reasons why God allows pain and suffering. (laughs) I don't do that anymore. What I do now, if someone says to me, okay, here's my question. Why would a loving God allow suffering? And then I say, instead of giving that five-point answer, I'll say, wow, of all the potential questions in the universe, why did you ask that one?
0: Hmm.
1: Well, now they get personal. Now they say, because I just lost my job because of the pandemic and I don't know what to do. Or hmm. my business is going bankrupt and my life savings is gone and I don't know what to do. Or my, my, uh, my friend is in, on a ventilator in the hospital with, with corona. And uh, where's God in the midst of that? Um, now we're getting to the emotional side. And it's so important in quote unquote apologetics that we don't just focus on the intellectual. Often, in fact, I would say most of the time, there's an emotional driver behind it. There, there's a, um, a psychological issue, a, a personal issue, an emotional issue. That's driving those questions. And when when somebody asks you a question, often they're setting up a trial balloon. Um, they want to see how you're going to respond. And if you respond by saying, "Oh, well, let me give you five reasons to answer that question," um, um, they're thinking, "Okay, if I ask questions, he's just going to give me a canned talk." Mm. Um, they set up a trial balloon. And if we are empathetic, if we listen if we ask follow-up questions, if we don't preach at them, if we just have a a, a sincere conversation with them, now they're more willing to go deeper and get into the deeper questions. Um, That's really, really important in the midst of this pandemic because you don't know what people have gone through. Uh, It's it's kind of the exception, I think, that people ask, why does a loving God allow pain and suffering purely out of intellectual curiosity?
0: Hmm.
1: Often there's something beneath that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you look out at your congregation when we're able to um, gather again, and you look into their eyes, you don't know how many have gone through great trauma as a result of this pandemic. Um, you know, my my own brother died uh, in March um, of the flu, he had had surgery, they put him in a nursing home to recover. And uh, he got sick and died. And, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. They don't. They never tested him for COVID-19, so we don't know if that's what it was. My doctor believes it was. But regardless, I mean, it's been very traumatic on right. our family for me right. to lose a brother, and um, or we haven't even been able to gather to have a funeral. Um, so, um, you know, people are going through trauma, and they want answers, but more than that, they want Jesus. Hmm. They want someone who's going to empathize with them, who's going to love them like Jesus would, who's going to sit down with them and maybe just be silent and let them cry and let them weep. So we have to make space in our church, not just for tough questions. We have to make space in our church for grief because uh, that's going to be around for quite a while.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's that's very, very helpful. Uh, one of the things, that, Lee, that you, you've talked a lot about recently and even mentioned early on in this conversation is Really focusing in on your local church to have someone who's going to be kind of a point person, a key person, yes. who is kind of keeping this this idea of apologetics um, in in front of the church and making sure that it is something that is being um, addressed and that people are being equipped and that they're, you know, an ongoing you know, emphasis. So it's not just like once once a year, hey, everyone, you know, we're gonna we're gonna run out and um, tell everyone about okay. Jesus or whatever, right? But you know, just as a part of you know, disciples are disciple makers, right? So it's a part of who we are as Christ followers. Um, and you guys are doing some really, really cool things, you and Mark and, and some others in regard to helping kind of you know, train a tr- the trainers, you know, help help develop these point people. Can you talk to us a little bit practically about what you guys are working on and, and how you see that impacting the church?
1: Yeah, you know, if a pastor says, oh, golly, I've got uh, a person in my church, maybe already on staff or a volunteer or a part-time person, or you say um, they could really grow into a role where they could be the evangelist and point leader for this church, uh, a point leader who would be um, – conversant in apologetics and help bring that value as well. But how can I get them trained? Who's going to train them? Who's going to equip them? So we started the center at Colorado Christian university, uh, uh, to equip Christians and ministry leaders and churches to effectively share the grace of God and confidently defend the truth of the gospel in order to reach our world for Christ. That's our mission statement. So what we've done is we've gathered, um, about 30 PhDs who also have practical experience in in the church world, and uh, we've created a curriculum where we will train your people Um, Whether they want to get a degree, we have a bachelor's degree. Whether they want a master's degree, we have that as well. Or if they just want to take two or three courses just to equip themselves uh, better. All these courses are fully online, so they can be done. They're they're designed to be taken while you're doing a full-time job. Um, So each one is just five weeks long, and um, they're accredited. Um, and you do it like one night a week for five weeks and, and you do it through Zoom. So you're seeing your professor there and you've got other people in your class. And uh, so our first 30 classes are um, available this fall. And we have classes in um, the case against atheism, learning how to answer um, you know atheism uh, classes in Islam and Christianity I have a whole class on religious doubt how do you deal and help people deal with religious doubt I have a whole class on objections to Christianity uh, how do you deal with those Quest, uh, class on the resurrection Class on world religions class on science and faith taught by a wonderful uh, a woman who's got a PhD uh, in science and has written a book on this topic And uh, she's breathing into that course. Uh, So we've got others like the apologetics of C.S. Lewis and uh, uh, apologetics in social media, uh, apologetics in the New Testament and the Old Testament. I mean, all these courses available and easy to take, easy to do online. And if you have someone in your church that says, golly, I want to grow uh, and learn. And maybe be that point person who can help train our entire congregation in both evangelism and apologetics. Maybe to head a ministry of small groups for non believers, uh, to head a ministry of um, um, uh, people who are involved um, in uh, evangelism. Um, send them our way. Uh, we'd love to train them. Uh, if, if they go to strobelcenter.com, all one word strobel, S T R O B E L, center.com. Um, all the information is there, and they can they can ask for more and uh, uh, apply uh, to uh, be part of um, taking a course even this fall.
0: That's that's awesome. We'll have those links in the show notes for our listeners, and I just love this because it's such a such a uh, gift to the church. Um, as we mentioned, a much much needed resource for the church, right? For us to help kind of raise a people within our church that can help lead and help can you know and inspire and encourage others because it's one thing I've always found as a pastor, it's one thing as a pastor to be on fire and engage. It's very, very important. Right. Um, but it's always good to have some, some of your lay people who are inspired in on fire because yeah. oftentimes people will look and say, Oh yeah, well that's the pastor's job. You know, yeah. the pastor is supposed to be on fire. Right. Um, but when they see others just in their church who are, who are on fire, I think it has a, another level of impact.
1: Absolutely. And, and you need, every pastor needs a point person who's going to partner with them right. and up late at night, praying and strategizing, thinking, how are we going to reach our community? What events can we organize and so forth? Um, and, and by the way, I think there's a misnomer among some pastors. They think, oh, an evangelism point leader, that's the person who goes out and does evangelism for the church. No, uh, this is the person that trains everybody in your church how to naturally and effectively share. Jesus with others, and who organizes outreach events and small group ministries to reach the community. Uh, this person doesn't do evangelism for everybody else; he helps everybody else do evangelism. Yeah, uh, and that opens the door, especially when people see they can be who God made them to be and be effective in sharing their faith. I don't have to be a great glory. God bless him; he's awesome. I, <laughs> I, I'd love to be great glory, but I'm not. Um, it's okay. As some of us are introverted. Some of us are, have different personality types. The Bible has at least six different styles of evangelism that are all valid. And when we help people realize they can be themselves and um, reach their friends for Christ, it, 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 it liberates them. And so I would love to see every church in America have somebody you know, as a partner to that senior pastor Who's going to lead that evangelistic charge? Uh, the person in charge of new business, so to speak. You know, every you know, a businessman once said to me, um, you know, for business to be successful, you only have to do two things. Number one, keep your present customers happy, and number two, get more customers. And who's in charge of new customers at the church? Hmm. Pastor hasn't got time to be the only person in charge of that. You need someone to help you. So let us train them, let us equip them, let us motivate them, let us encourage them, let us uh, send them back into your church on fire and with a billion different ideas that they can partner with you to uh, reach your community for Jesus.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. Absolutely love that, Lee. It's been so good to, to chat with you. Just real quickly before we go, any last minute thoughts that you'd like to share with the pastors and ministry leaders who are listening in?
1: You know, I have been praying and upped my prayer life in recent days for you, for pastors, because, you know, I'm not a senior pastor. I've been a teaching pastor at churches. I see up close what it takes to do what you do, Um, and um, nobody gets it um, uh, in your congregation. They think they do. They don't and going through this pandemic, and all the change that's been required, all the extra work that's put on your plate, all the extra stress, all the decisions that you have to make, knowing that there could be life and death involved in deciding some of these things in terms of exposing people to the virus. Um, so I have upped my prayer life for pastors, and I'm encouraging my Twitter followers and others to, um, uh, to do the same thing, uh, to undergird you, and to give you fresh wind for this next leg. Uh, I think, you know, God has um, allowed this pandemic to occur at a time in history when we could harness um, the internet to reach people. And by the way, young people are the ones who are most conversant with the internet. So we're probably reaching more younger people than ever, which mm-hmm. is awesome, but it's, it's gonna end and who knows what's gonna happen next. And I'm just praying for energy for spiritual stamina, for you to stay close to God, knowing that as we're close to Jesus, then we'll bear much fruit. Um, So, uh, you know, I'd love to see a national movement to say, let's be praying consistently, fervently, expectantly for all the pastors in our lives.
0: Amen. Amen. Love and appreciate you, Lee. Thank you for all you have done for the church. Thank you for your voice and your constant inspiration So appreciated.
1: Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you and outreach so much. Uh, Such a great organization, helps churches in so many ways. As we Texans say, appreciate (laughs) you.
0: God bless you, my friend. You too. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter, Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.